Welcome to Nostrum, the debate soap opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostrumite. Before we get going, we do like to remind you that just as Jules and the Nostromite began writing these episodes at the beginning, you should begin listening at the beginning. All of our previous episodes are available at www.jimmenick.com. There are 150 some odd episodes, maybe it's 160 episodes of Nostrum. And it occurs to me that the best way to listen to them is one right after the other. But considering that I won't be finishing until about the year 2010, when all of us are going to be a lot older and, with any luck, a lot wiser, you might want to stop listening now and just come back. But if, in fact, you have made the error of listening as we go along, you know who you are. You are the real timers. You must have an awfully good memory to keep up with things. The episode we're about to listen to brings us back to the untimely arrival of the Peltroni family at the demise of the Don. You remember Don Persenio, the old Don, died, and his son, the almost as old Don, also died, uh, pretty much one right after the other, bada-bing, bada-boom, which seems to be a rather appropriate way to refer to it, leaving Don Persenio the whale as the heir apparent and, well, as the heir for that matter. You also have to remember that there is a German film director looking for a natural, a natural young actor. And that this film director has in fact gotten in touch with Mr. Lopat and intends to look for this actor at the original Veganza. I don't remember any of that, by the way. So, maybe none of it's true, but in any case, sit back, relax, and get ready for episode 67, The Dawn's Last Do. Hamlet P. Buglaroni, at the height of what is for him sartorial splendor, is wearing his navy blazer. Mercifully, his grandmother has taken the initiative of purchasing him some new pants. So instead of chinos with enough space between the cuffs and his shoes to graze cattle, he is also wearing neatly pressed gray slacks pulled this morning straight from the land's end shipping box and slapped onto the buglaroni body. He is also wearing his trademark two pairs of socks tucked into his father's borrowed black penny loafers. Principal Raoul Walsh is shocked at the sight. Y'all look like you're all dressed up for a funeral, the man says, peering at the boy through his one good eye. I am going to a funeral, Buglaroni replies, handing Dr. Walsh a note from his grandmother. Oh, Walsh looks down at the note. I'm sorry to hear that. Not a family member, I hope. Buglaroni tilts his head. Well, yes and no. It's my godfathers that died. I mean, not really my godfathers as in my godfathers, but but they were godfathers, uh, if you know what I mean. Dr. Walsh looks up from the note. Buglaroni is standing on the other side of his desk in his unwanted finery, the only off note in his fashion statement being the beat-up old backpack hanging from one shoulder. 
No, Hamlet, I haven't the foggiest notion what you mean. The Vitellis, Angelo and Dominic, like they died? My father sort of works with them, so he wants me to go with him to the funeral. The eyebrow over Dr. Walsh's black patch rises questioningly. Your father is affiliated with the Vitellis? He's like, you know, friendly with them. I don't know if he really works for them. You know, he's in the car business. That's what I thought. The principal signs the note and hands it back to Buglaroni. Give it in at the desk. Thanks, Doc. Please do extend my sympathies to your father, Hamlet. I will, Doc. And Buglaroni is out the door, leaving the principal of night and day to wonder yet again what sort of world some of his students are living in. There he is. Holy mother of meatloaf. No wonder they call him the whale. The two policemen are sitting in a squad car in front of the Vitelli residence. They have come here not to arrest Vitellis, but to bury them. The village of Port Chester is well aware of the notoriety of these special citizens, and the squad car will lead the procession from the house to the funeral home, from the funeral home to the church, and finally from the church to the graveyard. It will be a long, celebrity-studded day. He almost never leaves the house, the first policeman says. As slowly, carefully, Don Presenio Vitelli comes down the front stairs of his house one at a time, hanging tightly to the arm of one of his henchmen. I hear he lives in a specially built sex lagoon, and he has all kinds of women brought to him every night, and God knows what they do in the water there. The first policeman shakes his head as he sips coffee from a travel mug. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard, Muldoon. I mean, yeah, he lives in the water. That's pretty well known. But I don't think he has mermaids floating around in there with him. I mean, come on, the man is obese. He's like an invalid. They practically have to move him around with a crane. The problem with you is you've been reading too many Mario Puzo novels. He is the godfather now, isn't he? Well, yeah, I guess so. All right, there you go. He's probably the biggest criminal in the country. Well, except maybe for Bill Gates. Eh, don't be a wise-ass, Muldoon says, trying to contain his irritation at his partner. I mean, who knows what goes on in that house of Vitelli's, other than that we know it probably isn't legal, whatever it is. And here we are, acting as his freaking bodyguards. Sheesh. You are so out of it, Muldoon. The Vitelli's are practically completely legitimate these days. They're not shooting each other down on the streets of Little Italy anymore, in between cannolis and espressos at the local social club. They're a conglomerate, very legitimate, all sorts of interests, electronics, import-export, show business, you name it. You really believe that, don't you? Sure I do, it's true. They're a bunch of freaking criminals. Look at them. Don Presenio is being helped into the back seat of a custom Mercedes designed to handle his unusual girth. He is surrounded by half a dozen men looking like 40-year-old versions of the bullies in second grade who used to steal your Snickers bars and stuff Play-Doh in your ears. The women are beginning to come down from the house in a separate group, every one of them dressed in black, looking like a misbegotten masquerade party where everyone decided to come as the Dowager Queen Victoria. They may look like criminals, Muldoon, but that doesn't make them criminals. Start the car, Muldoon says. You haven't got a freaking clue about mafiosi. Just drive and don't talk about it, all right? What an idiot. At least I know a little bit about the world. Start the car and let's lead him to the funeral home. Presenio the Whale Vitelli 
sits in the rear seat of his black Mercedes, staring out the window at his hometown as he takes one of his rare rides through it. Place looks like hell, he says. Hasn't improved in 20 years. It's an old town. Starbuck, his consigliere, replies. Starbuck is sitting up front beside the driver. The whale has the back seat to himself. I should move out of here, the whale says. I've got no more ties to the place. My old man and my brother. This was home for them. Me, I don't give a damn about it. Where would you move to? Starbuck asks. I don't know. Maybe California. Would you like to move out to California, Starbuck? Starbuck shrugs. I spend half my time out there anyhow with the business the way it is. I can handle it. Maybe after the dust settles, I'll think about it. You know, Starbuck says, with your brother gone, you're going to have to get out more, be seen more. You're going to have to be more public. I'm not a public guy. You know that. As Padron, you'll have no choice. You've got to be available to people. I'm going to be honest with you, Presenia. You can't go on living in your pool surrounded by wise guys. You're a businessman now, a CEO. You've got public relations responsibilities, and you're the only one that can handle them. That's what you're here for, Starbuck. That's why the family has a consigliere. I'm your lawyer, Presenia. I'm your friend, your advisor, but you're the man in charge, and you've got to act like you're in charge. Are you telling me that I haven't been running the family for years now from behind the scenes? I know that, Presenio. But now you've got to get in front of the scenes. The Mercedes pulls up in front of the funeral home. Starbuck turns and faces the whale as the driver turns off the engine. You've got to think of the future, Presenio. What happens to the business next? What's your line of succession? You have no children of your own. Which one of your nephews will you pick? None of them. They're all weasels. Well, you have to pick somebody. I will pick somebody, but it won't be one of them. Is there going to be any food here at the funeral home? Starbuck shakes his head. We're just picking up the bodies and heading toward the church. And I doubt if the church will feed us. Excellent doubt, Prosenio. It's going to be a long day. I'm tired already. Yeah, we haven't even started yet. I know, Starbuck. I know. The Garden of Eden didn't have this many flowers. The Church of Our Lady of Distributive Justice is bedecked with every bloom imaginable in every nook, cranny, nave, and apse, from transept to choir loft and back again. Help your grandmother, Ham Sr. says, prodding his son with his elbow. Buglaroni holds out his arm, and his grandmother grasps it firmly. Eh, you're a good boy, she looks over at her stepson. Not like a sum. Yes, Grandma. The church is as packed with people as it is with flowers. The Buglaronis manage to find enough space to squeeze into a pew about two-thirds of the way up the aisle. A lot of people, Ham Jr. says after they've settled. What'd you expect, Ham Sr. whispers. The Vitellis are important people in this town. The organ is playing softly in the background, what sounds like O Sola Mio, transposed to a minor key at half the correct tempo, followed by a similarly funereal Libiamo. Young Buglaroni, whose knowledge of Italian music ends with the spaghetti and meatball scene from Lady and the Tramp, simply assumes that these are some sort of newfangled hymns. After ten minutes, the music stops during a dirge ad lib of La Donna e Mobile, 
There is some pomp and circumstance in the back of the church. Buglaroni begins to turn his head, but his father gives him another elbow prod. Eyes front. Eventually, the procession begins. Two coffins slowly rolled up the aisle by nearly identical teams, a very serious-looking gentleman of the mafia persuasion. Behind them, in a specially designed, large, economy-sized wheelchair, Don Presenio, the whale, the telly, is rolled up behind them, piloted by Starbuck, the Vitelli family consigliere. Three priests, six altar boys who are in for some sizable tips when this day is over, and two women whose role is dubious at best, this being a Roman Catholic church, wait for the procession to reach them at the altar. Buglaroni is enthralled by the ensuing ceremony. He has never seen a funeral before, much less one as grand as this, a portmanteau ceremony, to paraphrase Humpty Dumpty, a final farewell to not one but two Vitelli godfathers. Prayers, incense, and holy water fly in every direction for nearly an hour, interspersed with tears, wails, and holy communion. Through it all, the two coffins sit like horizontal space odyssey monoliths, fussed over by every manner of cleric and layperson. Finally, the ceremony ends. The two coffins and the overweight Don Presenio are wheeled back to the rear of the church, but this time everyone is allowed to watch. Then the procession of mourners begins, slowly, ponderously, the pews empty one at a time from the front to back, and everyone heads toward the rear of the church, where the family of the loved ones has formed a reception line. And as the Buglaronis near this knot of mourning Vitellis, it suddenly occurs to young Hamlet that he is going to have to say something. But what? Sorry about your loss? Sorry about your troubles? Uh, how, how about them Mets? Nothing suitably glib comes to mind as they edge nearer and nearer. Finally, the clan Buglaroni is face to face with the clan Vitelli, and somehow no one pays any attention whatsoever to Ham Jr., who breathes a sigh of relief until he finds himself immediately standing before Don Presenio's custom wheelchair. Ah, uh, yes, Don Presenio says. The debater, the smart kid. Buglaroni gulps. Hello, he's, he's got to say something. Uh, sorry about your godfather's dying. Thank you, Ham. How is your debating coming? Uh, the, sort of, well, I'm sort of off for a couple of weeks. I gotta write some new cases. You'll be a lawyer someday, like my consigliere, Mr. Starbuck, here. Do you know this kid, Starbuck? Starbuck, standing behind the wheelchair, shakes his head and smiles. I'm afraid that I don't. Ham Buglaroni Jr., he's a comer, a debater, a counselor of the future. Hello, Ham. Before Buglaroni can respond, he is jostled by the crowd toward the exit door, and the next thing he knows, he is leading his grandmother down the stairs of the church. I feel so sorry for the family, she is saying. They'll survive, Ham Sr. says softly, as his own family heads back toward their car for the final procession to the church. Hans Castorp is stretched out on a chaise lounge on the balcony of his motel room, wrapped in a blanket, looking like an elongated moth in a plaid cocoon. He is watching television, enjoying the outdoors even though the autumn weather is decidedly on the cool side. An injudicious slamming of the door behind him is an indication that his casting director has entered his suite. Hello, Claudia. 
Hello, Hans. The director does not look up at her. He is wearing sunglasses and his usual backwards baseball cap, with his hair neatly distributed over his shoulders. He is nearly supine on his chair. They got rent tickets for tonight and then dinner at Bobby's restaurant, Claudia says. Bobby's in town, so we'll get to meet him after the show. Excellent, Hans says. Mm, it's cold out here, Claudia says, wrapping her arms about herself. The air is good for the health. If you say so, what are you watching? CNN, they've got the live broadcast of the Vitelli funeral. Live? What can I say? It's a slow news day. She cannot see his hands, which are wrapped somewhere within his tightly wound blanket, but he must be holding the remote control because the TV suddenly clicks off. He turns to her. You know, Clavdia, I was thinking. What? I was thinking I would bet not one person in a hundred living today can tell you who Zasu Pitts is. Not one person in a hundred. Zazu Pitts, probably right. It's a shame, isn't it? I can't say. I've given it much thought, Hans. What brought that up? I was thinking, here we are in New York. We're going to hire an actor who we're probably going to make a star for a while. At least everyone will know his name. But will they know him a generation later? Or will he be another Zazu Pitts? Hans Kastorp bites his bottom lip. Will I be another von Stroheim? Well, they only remember me because I'll act in some movie someday and a small part in the real star will be uh, Kate Winslet. I'm, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Castorp. Have you been drinking, Hans? I'm bored, Claudia. I've run out of cigars. Have room service find you some, then. You know I shouldn't smoke, but temptation is the one thing I can't resist. Oh, you're like a baby when your little army of trainers isn't surrounding you. He looks at her plaintively. Ah, you're so right, Claudia. I am like a baby, even when they are surrounding me. Why am I like that? Why? Well, your grace has been too high for too long. A couple of flops and you'll just be as normal as a nun. Don't say that word, Claudia. Nun? Flops. She pats him on the top of the head. I'm going to get myself prettied up. I'll come by to get you around seven. You'll be all right. I'll be fine. You just turn the funeral back on. That'll keep you entertained. Ciao, Hans. Ciao, Claudia. The unseen hand clicks the TV back on, and as the casting director heads for Eve Arden's, Hans Castorp returns his musing to the ephemeral career of the late, great Sazu Pitts. Will Don Persenio step forward to take the reins of the Vitelli family? Will Starbuck take his coffee back to the Pequod? Will Buglaroni wear his new pants to the next debate? Does Steve Jobs sound more like a robber baron every time he opens his mouth? Is Elliot Spitzer a Seth B. Obamash wannabe? If you only knew that our next episode is not really earwigs, Joycean insects, or the worst idea since combing it over the bald spot. <laughs> 